Hello, hello, it's Orit Krug here, and welcome back to Mind Your Body. Today, we have an amazing, unique episode where I interview a therapist and her client together. Really not traditional, um, and if you've got some feelings about that, that's all right. We actually get into it. We get into talking about how they can even be here together and you know, what, what has come up for them through that. And, um, yeah, we, we talk about it all. So Anna and Jennifer, which are pseudonyms, by the way, um, Jennifer is the therapist who has helped Anna really go through her sexual trauma recovery. And that has been so transformational for Anna that she wrote a book about it called In Me We Trust. And we are publishing this podcast in April on purpose. It's Sexual Assault Awareness and Prevention Month. And because of that, Anna is offering a promotion on her book um, to reflect the one in six women who report being a victim of rape or attempted rape in their lifetime in the United States. So the discount on her book is... Um, it's 17% discount to reflect the one in six. And I'm going to put that promo code and the link in the podcast episode notes below, because after listening to this episode, you are going to want more. You're going to want to hear more of this story. Um, it is amazing to witness and hear, um, Anna being supported by Jennifer through her transformation from sexual trauma to life after where she can be in this amazing, powerful place, writing a book about it and telling her story here today. So without further ado, let's get into it. This is Mind Your Body, a dance movement therapy perspective on the integration of our emotional, cognitive, physical, and spiritual aspects of our being into one more aware and whole existence. So today we have Jennifer Laser and Anna Golden on Mind Your Body. And I want to say welcome and thank you for being here. And let them tell you a little bit about themselves and why they're here together because it's really exciting. This is going to be a great, great episode. So Jennifer and Anna, would you give a little introduction about yourselves? Yes, thank you. Uh, my name is Anna Golden, and uh, we are here today to talk about a book I recently published called In Me We Trust, A Discovery of Self After Sexual Trauma. It's a memoir that I wrote about my experiences with uh, recovery from PTSD after being raped by a friend. And I just want to point out that Anna is a pseudonym, and so is Jennifer. And that is intended to protect the identity mainly of my family, who are included in the book and also my foes because the point of the book is not about calling out perpetrators rather it's about showcasing and highlighting that recovery is possible and um, I hope through the course of this interview today and then also for people who read the book and check annagoulden.com's website and look at the resources that it might be a tool for other people to um, see how healing can happen um, and so that's the primary reason that I'm here today. I also just want to point out my background is in mental health. I've been in the mental health field for uh, 21 years. I have a PhD in a mental health field, um, and I, I'm a licensed practitioner. I'm not going to say the specific area in mental health to protect anonymity, but I do have a background in our field. Awesome. And so hi, I'm Jennifer Laser, and I'm a board-certified dance movement therapist, and I also have a PhD in clinical psychology. Um, I had my first uh, internship in dance movement therapy about 45 years ago. It might be longer than that, actually. It's hard to <laughs> keep, but you know, the years have gone by so quickly, but it's been quite some time that I've been a therapist, and um, that was... One of the reasons Anna came to me because she was interested in doing a body-based kind of therapy. Um, and I have worked mostly in facilities, uh, mental health facilities in my working life. I have specific um, specialties that I focus on. Um, and I 
came to having the main focus of my work be my private practice a couple of years ago, which has been very exciting. Um, it's been wonderful because I was I, I worked so much with people who were in critical states um, in, and having uh, severe symptoms in terms of their clinical diagnoses. And now I get to work with people and watch their recovery happen and watch their progress and watch them feeling better and being part of that process has been really exciting and wonderful. Um, not that I didn't love the work that I did previously, but this has been amazing and it's why I'm able to come and talk today about what's happening with Anna and this amazing book that she wrote. Awesome. Thank you. Um, so just a little bit of history before we really get into more of your work together. Can you share with us how long you've been working together, how often you've been meeting and just kind of the specifics of, of, yeah, the logistics. So, um, I, like Jennifer said, was really interested in doing some body-based work because up to that point, my rape occurred in 2002. And um, I met Jennifer in 2014. And I had done some therapeutic work up to that point, but really inconsistently and not specific to trauma recovery. Um, And so I looked for when I was at, I went to a mental health retreat, 10 day intensive retreat. I was in a critical state in July of 2014. And at the end of that, we had to put together a healing plan. And what I indicated in my healing plan was that I wanted to find a therapist that was somehow connected to something somatic. And, you know, to be honest with you, I don't even think I knew dance movement therapy was a thing, but I just went home and Googled, um, and found the American Dance Movement Association, ADTA. The American Dance Therapy Association. There you go. Uh-huh. Uh, and on there, found find a you know therapist and searched through a lot because I think I could only at that time search by California, and I was so I had and they were not alphabetized, and I couldn't figure <laughs> out how to sort it, and it was actually a little bit of a challenge. But I found two that were in my area. Nice. Yeah. And most people, like most of my clients, they're like, what? I haven't heard of dance therapy before you. So yeah, yeah, that's pretty common. So you met, um, you met Jennifer. Yeah. So Jennifer's the one who called me back (laughs) (laughs) and, um, (laughs) yes. And that's when we started meeting. And that was four and a half years ago. Yes. That was in September 2014. And how often were you meeting? Weekly. Okay. For one to two hour sessions on Sundays. Okay. Okay. And for all the four and a half years, or did you also change it up a little bit? There's been like periods of time that it was maybe down to one time a month, but never less than that except for when I gave birth. Right. That's right. I think when I gave birth, we were in touch more just via phone or text message check-ins, but not like a, actual sessions. I, I think it was about three months mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that we were not meeting. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Yeah. So um, when we were talking before we hit the record button, we were talking about how, um, Anna, you talk in your book about having an egalitarian approach within the therapeutic relationship. Can you talk more about what you mean by that and what that looks like? Yeah. So um, as I mentioned, I have a background in the mental health field. And for me, when I work with clients, I I believe that a therapeutic alliance rooted in egalitarianism means that we are on an equal playing field that I may have additional training and additional knowledge to bring to um, 
a perspective on what the client may be going through, but that it's ultimately up to the client to direct and guide and be the expert in the client's life. And so when I am the client, I also look for um, a therapeutic alliance and a therapist that is going to approach the building of the therapeutic alliance from that perspective. We didn't actually name it that until we were putting together the three points of, for this podcast. Like we've never actually talked about that before using the word egalitarian. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's for me, something I look for. I don't do well with um, experty authority ish figures, but I do do well with people who, are confident and assertive in their knowledge and open to me saying, no, I'm not ready to do that right now. And that's what Jennifer has been able to do. Well, and it's really exciting for me to hear that because I don't present myself as an egalitarian therapist. I mean, I don't, I, that's my intention, but I actually, when we were talking about this beforehand, I was saying that um, for me, I have, I, I, I would say a healthy dose of humility about that. Um, just like in social justice issues, I'm not going to assume that the person I'm speaking to finds me to be egalitarian. I'm going to always be checking in about that. Is this working for you? And if not, um, you know, please tell me. And, you know, just there's always an awareness that um, this could go off balance easily, that I can be um, in the seat of of authority, quote unquote, and in a power position that um, I just have a healthy dose of respect for that and how that can take the relationship off kilter and not be particularly therapeutic. Um, and that it's so that's my intention. Uh, I just never want to assume that I'm being egalitarian. I'm going to leave that up to my client to give me that feedback. If that does that. Yeah. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Does that make sense to you, Anna? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Okay. Okay. Do, do you have any examples of like a moment in your session where that has shown up? Yes. And um, I'll just kind of bring this back to the book because there's several examples in um, the book because it chronicles my recovery many chapters are set in Jennifer's office and um, readers will see in, in as they read the book, how skilled Jennifer was at checking in with me along the way. So one, one example, the first time we did movement or one of the first times she invited me to do, well, actually, you know what? I'll even start in our first session we talked, I, she asked at the end, you know, do I have any questions or maybe it was at the beginning, but and I said, well, how does movement happen? Because I knew I wanted to do it, but I was really shy, very self-conscious, um, very uncertain as someone who was um, a victim of a rape that occurred while I was asleep. It was a surprise. It was uh, being caught off guard is not a position that I like to be in. And so I checked in with Jennifer about that. And she was from the get go, like, you know, I'll present some, you know, some opportunities or I'll, you know, share with you, we could do movement. This is what it would look like. And you will always have the say, yes, I want to do it or no, I don't. Or maybe if we modified it or, you know, so there's, I mean, she asked me if I wanted to take, a walk with her and Pansy in one two hour session we were doing. Pansy's my dog. Yes, Pansy's a dog. And so after the first hour, we had to take Pansy out. She had to take Pansy out. And so, you know, do, did I want to get up from a comfy pillow fort we had made on the floor and go for a walk or not? And I honestly deliberated like, Ugh, I don't really, really want to do that. But then I also kind of do because I didn't want to be by myself and blah, blah, blah. And it ended up being amazing because we saw this, awesome tree that was, um, kind of a bare, you know, barren tree and it was emerging out of the fog. And like a couple sessions prior, I had some visual imagery when we were doing another very slight movement of that barren tree living in my left hip bone. And so it was so powerful. And we then went and did some 
she invited me to do some movement around the tree and just listen to the sensations that I was having in my body as I was walking around this tree that was a perfect replica of what I saw living in my hip. Um, May I give a shout out for yeah. just a second? This is a little sidebar. Yeah. I want to give a shout out to one of my mentors, uh, the amazing, great Anna Halperin, who has so much respect for everyone's process individually and for people's imagery. And the fact that there is a, you know, a tree in your left hip bone that you could be so specific about that. And it's like, that's like gold for uh, someone who works is a dance movement therapist who works with the body and who works with imagery. Um, like we, you know, combining that with IFS work, internal family systems work um, that, uh, yeah, I just want to give a shout out to her because she's so egalitarian in her approach. And it's it, there's so much respect for the person who's mm-hmm. in front of her and their body and their imagery and how it comes up. And so for me, that was just that was just such a beautiful moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah. please go ahead. Well, and then I would also I would also want to oh, thank you for that. Yes. Um, I also want to give an example of a time that I was like, no, not today. Um, you know, sh- Jennifer usually my no not todays are around expressing anger <laughs> because um it's not uh, something that comes natural to me and so um i was recent actually it was a more recent session was, do you want to do some movement around expressing anger and i was like no i just don't have it in me today i don't want to do it today and I was like, okay, then let's move on and do, you know, do something else. And then the next session we actually did mm, that's the right. movement. That's right. And it was very cool. Yeah. I'm going to do a little footnote here. Um, what you just said about move that anger doesn't come naturally to me. Um, that's a huge marker for me that, um, that there's a part of, of, of Anna that tells her that, that anger doesn't come naturally but that it's one of the most natural hmm. impulses we have as human beings and that I'm going to hold that, that, that I know that when Anna is um, able to be grounded in self, capital S self, that the anger that's, you know, justified anger, not, not like to be angry all the time, but that the justified anger that's been inside of her, that she'll be able to connect with that and, and feel safe doing that. Um, and, and be able to connect with that in her body and regulate herself and have the confidence in herself that she can be angry and it's okay. Yeah. Does it? Yeah. Yeah. How do you feel about what I just said? Yeah, no, I'm, I think you're, I think you're right on target there. Um, it's just making me think about the very incredible experience of having, uh, working with Jennifer, who's a, both skilled and are trained in EMT, but also in internal family systems and um, how like integrating those two in such a skillful way, I think has been a real primary tool or technique. I don't even know the word, but in, in my healing, like yeah. having both of those working together mm-hmm. um, has been huge. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Such a- Can you talk more about that? Like, what is yeah. that? I mean, maybe we can break it down just a little bit more too about first DMT. So um, Anna, you were talking about wanting this body-based therapy. Mm-hmm. Um, not sure if you said you've tried, you had tried other things like talk therapy before that. Um, but like, what was your experience in bringing it to the body? Like what, what change that did that make for you after all these years of, living with your trauma in your body and, and then finally being able to approach it from that sense? Well, that is a great question. So I was, so I, in the past, just, this is also outlined in, or um, written about in the book, but um, so I've done, I'd done EMDR, um, which was very, um, all these were very helpful and they were, I was ready for them at the time that I initiated doing them, if that makes sense. So, um, so EMDR, I did, I did dream work, talk therapy, um, 
like self-defense classes, yoga, thing, you know, things that were not necessarily traditional, but never had I realized until I was on that mental health retreat how crucial getting my body involved in the expression of the trauma, how crucial that was going to be to my recovery. And fortunately on that retreat, I was invited to, or they not invited, but all of us that were there, there was a great art room. And so we would have these like kind of meditations, reflections, small groups. And then there was this like big thing that punched and kicked and threw things and it was like this huge cathartic relief and then I had you know I felt like I had poison in my body and so I took a bucket and put all this gross stuff in it and like other um, clients that were there like spit in it and like it was just and I stirred it up and it was just like it was like this poison that I was like getting expelling from my body and I hadn't I didn't expel it actually at that time but it was the first time I had externalized any of that you know what I now know is you know the shame and the trauma that was dumped in me Mm -hmm. and because of the power of that and then being able to go into an art room and do sculpting or drawing or whatever around that movement I knew that I wanted to come back and find someone that could do that work with me And, um, and I knew then that, you know, that this, I had done enough research in my professional life to understand the, um, like neuroplasticity and, you know, understand the brain body connection. And so I was just really at that point, I was ready to not live with the pain anymore. And I had right before the mental health retreat, I've been in a suicide crisis for 10 days. So the, the, closest I'd ever come to hitting, you know, submit to buy pills. Mm. And mm. I had a time frame; It was going to be a couple days from then. And um, so I just was done living with the pain because I, I just, when I was in self, which at that time was rare, I, I knew that I wanted to live. Yeah. That's why I looked for a dance movement therapist. Can I highlight one of the things you just said? Sure. And uh, that um, and I'm so moved listening to you describe what it's been like for you. It's so beautiful. Um, your the level of consciousness you bring. I really want to. That's what I want to highlight. The level of consciousness that Anna brings to the work um, has uh, made it so rich. And I think that's one of the reasons you wrote the book because you wanted people to go into it with, you know, you, you had the benefit of having this education and you're, and you, you know, you had this, um, a beautiful impulse to make sure that other people go into this with that kind of knowledge, with that kind of education as, as best they can, as they're, um, start finding their path to recovery. Um, mm-hmm. There was something in particular that you said that I wanted to highlight about your education. Oh, that that um, we we've talked the whole time. Um, uh, Anna bought the book um, uh, "The Body Keeps the Score" by Bessel van der Kolk, and um, I had seen it before, but I didn't have it in my office. And the way she benefited from that book, I was just I hopped on. And I, and I, and I always, I have those, I have that book in my office. I have it in an unspoken voice by Peter Levine in my office. I always, I have books handy for um, my clients. Mm-hmm. This is one of the ways um, Anna has been so inspiring for them to be able to read about what's actually happening in their body as the trauma moves through and as we're moving together. And so we can talk about that. So when, when she might say something about, you know, feeling electricity in a certain place and she might feel this thing in her brain and she might feel this thing on her right side or in her hip that we can actually talk about what's going on that we're adding this Mm -hmm. cognitive element to it that helps that is so empowering to a client who's recovering from trauma that they understand that all of those sensations are significant and that it means that there's progress because it can be, it can be scary, right? It can be like, you know, what was that? And what am I feeling right now? So if we can actually name that together 
um, mm-hmm. and celebrate that and celebrate how intelligent the body is and how intelligent the brain is in terms of the processing and that we're having this, um, there's this exquisite um, experience of release and of um, the neurology being able to shift. Like you, you, you just talked about neuroplasticity, that that's what we're, we're doing that mm-hmm. together. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then Anna can track that in her body and, that's that's part of the healing mm-hmm. this is you know we're, we're so beholden to the folks who did all of um, so much research the brain research and we're able to start connecting the dots so then people can do that for themselves they can connect the dots and understand how the, you know this body that might it might feel like they've been betrayed by their body and they're holding the shame in their body but that um that the body to, to reconnect with the body in this empowered way to reclaim the body, to reclaim sensation, to reclaim, you know, being able to live in this body and live a life of beauty and to have the bodily sensations and the pleasures to have all of that come back again um, is such an amazing experience. And, mm-hmm. and, um, and at, at the work that we've done together, I've just felt at so many moments has been, um, uh, just uh, like there, there have been so many breakthroughs that have taught me so much about how to work with other people. So the, the, her writing this book is such a gift um, to, to, to offer this to other people to say, this is, this is what was happening to me and you can find your own path through this, but these are the things that work for me and this is why, and this is what you can be conscious of. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Amazing. Yeah, and I um, something you said before, Anna, about what you've done. One of the things you said was yoga, right? Mm-hmm. And I really, I feel like this is an important point to bring up because it is clear from the way that you are talking together and, and about each other and about your work together that the relationship is is and has been so important in your recovery, mm-hmm. um, and sometimes. I see that people will try to substitute the real therapeutic relationship where you can do this real deep work. I mean, I believe that trauma needs to be healed within relationship. Mm -hmm. Um, But that some it's, I've seen that some people try to do it through, let's say yoga, a yoga class, yoga Mm -hmm. classes. What's, what was the difference with that for you? Um, because both engage in your body, but they're obviously very different. Yeah. I will say that, uh, when I was doing the last time that I actively engaged in yoga prior to my work with Jennifer, um, they, the, the teacher had us go like lay on your back and put your legs up, you know, against the wall. And I broke down in tears. It was such a vulnerable position. I, at the time I had no idea I had to get up and leave. I was mortified. I could, I felt so embarrassed and ashamed that I was crying and I didn't understand why I was crying. And it was just this very um, humiliating experience. Had I had someone like Jennifer or another, you know, trained professional in trauma that I could talk to and process about that experience. It could have been, it's so empower, empowering and powerful. So I think maybe what you're like, I think yoga has a huge potential to be very healing when it's coupled with someone who's really trained in how to process trauma. And, um, I want to also say that now, since I've been working with Jennifer, the other really key element that I brought in regularly was massage therapy and the importance of working with a massage therapist that is also knowledgeable and understanding of, um, trauma and what Jennifer was saying before about connecting with the different systems of the body, the muscles, the skeletons, uh, skeletal system, the, um, you know, the cranial sacral. So I was so fortunate and I taught, I, you'll readers will meet my massage therapist in the book. Her name is Fora Crane and 
she's, I mean, she was an absolute miracle worker as well. And so I think that to really recover from trauma, it takes an integrated approach with different therapeutic techniques. I'm dance movement. It's not a technique, but interventions. Is it okay? Like, so dance movement therapy, IFS, um, you know, the artistic, like drawing, creative expression, journaling, but I've also, you know, integrated very intentionally massage therapy, meditation, medication, and it's all of those together. And then building the capacity of my support system to be champions of my recovery. All of that together is what has made it possible. Mm. Yeah. Well said. Yeah. And and something I preach about is like, um, you know, feeling like you've been doing it on your own for so long. Um, cause there are a lot of people out there who they really want to feel better. And there's a lot of books, there's a lot of different things that you can do on your own. Um, and, and like, I've gotten a lot of, cause, because I make a lot of content about that. Like people will message me and say, yeah, I I've tried so much on my own and I feel like a failure. Like, I feel like I'm never going to recover it creates this hopelessness feeling, this powerlessness feeling, which is really a mirror of, of how they have felt in their trauma as well. Yeah. And I, I felt that for the many years before I met Jennifer and really engaged Jennifer for a Medicaid, all of those things together. Yeah. Like sidebar because um, I want people to understand that the yoga that we're talking about is specifically Hatha yoga, the physical postures. And I want people to be really, really careful about how they choose because there's a lot of misappropriation right now, just in terms of cultural, just being really culturally sensitive. There are people who are doing, I, I don't know. I don't even know what they're doing anymore. They're just making up different kinds of yoga to make money. And I, I, I'm sorry to say that, but it's true. And, and I, I want to make sure that when that if people have trauma, that they go to somebody who really understands what Hatha yoga is about and that what can come up for somebody when they're in class and that it's, that it's, it's done in a really um, careful, so, conscious way. Okay. You know, like doing hot yoga is probably not good for somebody who has trauma. Um, it might be, you know, I can't, I can't say specifically, but I would, I would say to be really careful about choosing a class and choosing a teacher the way, the way Anna has been. And also a class isn't therapy, like going to a yoga class. I don't, I don't believe that's egalitarian in, in essence, you know, like it's not, in this relationship, it's not a therapeutic relationship. It's teacher and students. It's so different. And that's, I think that's why I brought it up because it's not yoga. What you're talking about is not yoga. It's, it can be helpful when you already have the foundation of your beautiful relationship together of the amazing things you've worked on, but to use that as a substitute um, or because it's, you know, cheaper than therapy, for example, it's just, It's not the same at all. It's almost, it can be almost dangerous. Not that yoga is dangerous. It's not a love. I'm I'm a practitioner myself. It's just using that as a substitute. You know, you're just setting yourself up for trouble. Yeah. Yeah. And we're also picking on yoga right now, but it's like, it's any class, you know, um, where (laughs) <laughs> like I die a little bit inside when, since some people are like, well, I'll just take a dance class. I'm not going to do the therapy. Yeah. Oh, God. yeah. Oh, my no. gosh. <laughs> oh, that's such a misunderstanding. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so in terms of going into your body and really accessing this trauma, expressing this trauma through the body, um, how were you able to stay safe? Um, like, how did you feel? What parts of your relationship made it feel safe and helped you really expand your window of tolerance in uh, basically confronting these feelings that that have been inside of you for a long time? Another really good question. Great question. Um, so the first 
thing that came up as I was listening to you ask the question is how slow we went. Um, one of the you know very first movements we did, I was expecting to be like you know dancing to my favorite hip hop song or something <laughs> that you know I or maybe not hip hop but maybe one of those emo songs that I still love to this day. But I would play on repeat when I was down in the dumps or whatever you know. Um, so I was expecting that, and then there was actually a moment I've never told you this, and this is not in the book either. This yeah. is a sidebar that I there was a moment where I was like, man, I just want to bring my favorite songs in and dance with her. And I never, I don't know why we, we should do that. Yeah, in the future. Do. <laughs> um, but anyway, she, uh, she asked if I wanted to do some movement. This is a, maybe our first or second session. And I was like, Oh, I don't know, maybe. And she's like, okay. And she went and got pillows and blankets and, you know, and invited me to like lay in them. And she's, you know, then asked like, what else do you need to feel like nurtured? What other parts of your body need a pillow? And I remember laying there and this is in the book being like, wow, this is a new concept. Like, what do I need? And like, what is my, you know, my heels a little bit on the ground and, you know, do I, or I feel a little bit chilly. Do I ask for another blanket? Do I not like the internal kind of process, but because it was, um, she was introducing me to my body in such in a very slow sort of safe way that I I think that laid the foundation for kind of like you said expanding that tolerance for facing the pain and suffering that comes with trauma and then I don't know if you want to say anything about that but I would say that the other really crucial piece is the introduction of internal family systems because that theory or system of psychotherapy gave me a very strong understanding of all of the different internal parts and voices and pieces and things that were, you know, barren trees that were living in my body and, um, how to, how to make sense of it all. And I mean, I think that is, um, DMT and IFS are like the most incredible, therapeutic processes that mm -hmm. I've come across in the years that I've been in the field. Um, and I read, I don't see it up here. Jennifer showed me the internal family systems introductory oh, book, yeah. an introduction to family systems. Yeah. yeah. And it's, um, I'll just plug again, annagoulden.com lists a lot of these resources that we're talking about links, the associations, this book, The Body Keeps the Score book. Um, but anyway, I read that book, almost, I would say probably in two days. I mean, it's a, pretty, it's a very simple read. You don't have to have a background in mental health uh, to understand this introduction to in, the internal family systems model by um, Dr. Richard Schwartz. And it's, yeah, so that helped me then feel, because I had a place to orient all of these different scary things that were coming up inside me. Mm. And then I had also an understanding of once we get to know these parts and these scary things and these strong emotions and these off the wall behaviors that sometimes I would have, um, it helped me to feel like, okay, I can, I can tackle this and Cartman's triangle. Yeah. Yeah. If you want to talk about that well, one too, can I, I yeah. can I can I backtrack a yes. tiny bit? I just threw um, that, yeah, you said so many great things. I hope I read them out. I should have written them down as you were talking. So, but just one of the wonderful things about dance movement therapy and internal family systems work for me, the intersection is that there's a there's this beautiful um, the way I was trained. Um, emphasis on the most important thing is being a capital S self, that the most important thing is bringing the person that you're working with, uh, having the confidence, which I, which boys in IFS emphatic about this as a therapist, that you have the confidence that the person you're working with has a capital S self that they've lost access to and that you're holding that and that that's the goal is to be in self and I, that's one of the things I always loved about dance movement therapy so much is that it's to understand your body, your sensations, your truth for your body, that your body is going to give you so much information all of the time. What feels good to me? What doesn't feel good to me? What feels 
uh, to me. <laughs> what, feel, what do I like? What do I not mm-hmm. like? And all of that information is in our bodies. Um, and and when you when when you experience trauma, you get so cut off from that because you're so flooded with um, what what the perpetrator has dumped on you. Um, and it's so hard to stay to to stay in one's identity and to feel that uh, to not feel broken and defective. So it's to to regain access to self again. We did that through through that slow slow process of coming back into the body and being really kind and gentle and you know just treating the body like like putting a baby. I often use the image of putting a baby in a cradle that you're going to be so gentle with yourself and with your body that's been through so much. The tendency mm-hmm. it can feel counterintuitive for someone who's been through trauma because there can be this feeling of I hate my body and I want to punish my body and I don't know I don't want to be in my body or I want to ignore my mo- my body or I want to numb out. And so what we're doing is you know it's I, I call that process thawing that that we're that the the uh, all the systems are going to have to come back on again and that we're going to be really careful about noticing that when everything's coming back on again and and being able to as uh, so for Anna to be able to monitor that for herself, to be able to look at her musculoskeletal system and feel it coming on and her central nervous system, her digestive system, her, you know, all of the systems that get um, uh, shocked by, by the traumatic event or events, actually in your case, it was events, you know, you know, uncovering, you know, is there more trauma that, that is stored in the body and in the brain? And just being so kind and so slow. And one one thing that's really interesting is that we used to tell people to take deep breaths when they were dissociating, you know, having flashbacks or panic attacks. And we don't do that anymore. It does not help. And we didn't listen for a long time. We would say, no, 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 it's going to help you if you take a deep breath. So that's part of the experience as well. No, just be aware of your breath. Be really slow and just notice what's happening with your breath. Is it shallow? Is it fast? You know, what's happening with your breath and just following it. And then the person themselves will be able to regulate. They'll be able to do that for themselves. I don't have to tell them how to breathe. Um, We can talk about it. And if, you know, if there are issues with it, we can talk about it, but giving them the confidence because they, everybody knows how to breathe. This that's been, you know, damaged in, in the, you know, the impact of the trauma. So no, let's come back to your deepest, deepest knowledge. Your body knows how to breathe. So we're going to, we're just going to, we're going to get there again at your pace. Yeah. Yeah. And you both said the word slow. (laughs) I think that's so important because yeah, being in the pain or even being in that numbed out place, can feel so horrible. You just want to speed it up and mm-hmm. get past it already. And that is, yes. I was actually just talking to a client today um, about actually, you know, she knows this and she continues to come back to this in her body that the answer is to go slow when she wants to really rush through the process. And who wouldn't, right? Who wouldn't well, want to rush through it? It's so painful. So, you know, that's, that's why it's so important to have a therapist to like, just, you know, so, sitting that together yeah this is horrible and it's unfair and it's unjust that you have to go through this and i wish this could be fast and just let let, i I often use the term grunt work that doing the grunt work is what's going to make this really solid and last and Mm -hmm. doing the grunt work makes it so um important and so it solidifies it so i think a couple things that i want to um add here in terms of my work outside of the sessions with Jennifer, I was really hesitant and reluctant and resistant to doing work outside of the session when I first started in part because I was in a, a new job and there was just a lot going on in my life outside of. So it was like, okay, I knew on Sundays I had a place to go do this and then I could leave and, you know, carry on with the other things that were going on. Once I started really engaging in the between session activities, Mm -hmm. I think the slowness sped up a little bit. It still didn't get fast. And I'm totally one of those that like, I don't want to get, again, this is a story in the book too. I'm not giving away the whole book. (laughs) Um, 
you know, but just this idea of like walking through a labyrinth and like, I just can't stand doing those. Like, I just want to like hopscotch over the, the lines to the middle, you know, I like straight direct in, not in a circle. Um, but things that I did like, um, sleep with a rose quartz rock or, you know, just some other symbolist items that had meaning and symbolism to me. Um, engaging in the meditation, being really intentional about talking with my massage therapist about what sort of body energy work was going on in therapy and how we could integrate, you know, how she could then play a specific role in the therapeutic healing of the trauma. So like that is also important from a, as a client's perspective in terms of wanting, you know, how do you speed up the process? I think, but it's still four and a half years and I'm still in it. Yeah. Um, but then the other thing that I wanted to highlight is gone from my brain. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, no, I, I was emphatic about in that in the forward as well, but um, it's like fighting a war doing the yeah. trauma work is so hard. And I always, I predict that I tell my clients ahead of time, this is not going to be easy. This is really hard work mm -hmm. and there are going to be times when you might want to kill me, but um, I'm going to stay here and I'm going to hang in with you and it's worth it. It's just worth it. And I think that's one of the reasons it's great to read your book as well. And for people to know that you can get to the other side and that mm -hmm. it's, it's so worth it. Oh, that's what I was going to say. What are you going to say? So um, an analogy that I think about, when I'm, when I talk about the work I've done so far now, this is not in the book, by the way, um, but is, you know, when you, if, when you imagine being out in nature and you want to create a new path, this is no new analogy. I'm not the brain behind this analogy. Everybody I'm sure has heard it, but when you want to create a new path and you don't necessarily have a path cut trail cutter tools and things, you have to walk up and down that same path a bunch of times. And that's, eventually wears down the path and then um it stays you know the path stays even if it mm -hmm. doesn't it gets maybe a little overgrown but there's still the, the marking of that path and that to me is the the neuroplasticity mm -hmm. that's the work that we've done together is you know taking it slow making sure that we're being intentional about where we're stopping and where we're stepping and how we're going in a in a way that that makes sense through the felt sense of the body, not necessarily always makes sense intellectually or rationally or cognitively. And it's a different kind of intelligence. Yes, it is. And, and recently um, I was having a little bit of anxiety recently, meaning like in the last six weeks, my anxiety was, has been high. I think part of that's mercury being in retrograde <laughs> and messing with my technology stuff but anyway uh, um i so i but i had been out of practice of my every day or you know a couple times a week ritual that's my homework outside of session you know to sit down and just spend a little bit of time you know doing some kind of reflection self-care you know whatever and I did it one night and it only took that one 20 minutes for me to be able to feel in self again. And that is the path that we've laid, even though I had neglected it mm. for a while prior mm. to my work and even prior to probably the last year and a half, like when I really started writing the book, it took a lot more to get me back into self mm -hmm. than a 20 minute self-guided journal writing slash reflecting slash meditation time. And that's the neuroplasticity behind the work. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Like when you're talking about digging the pathway, I'm thinking about neural pathways and uh, I just love that you just said that because it's so, it's so real. That's, that's the sustainable, the sustainability and the lasting effect of this work. You just see it come alive in your 3D reality. Um, even if, yeah, even if you lose touch for a couple of weeks with the routine or the ritual actually, um, 
it's like, it's just that much easier to tap into it or you come into confrontation with a, a disappointment in your life. And it's just, it's not as detrimental as it used to be. You can yes. get back on your feet a lot quicker. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah. Um, we're cut, we're running out of time. So I, I want to ask, um, because you're both here together, um, therapist and client, um, I just want to ask, how are you able to do this together? You know, it's not super traditional for, well, I've never interviewed a therapist and a client together, and it's probably not super traditional. Neither um, one of us has ever done this before. <laughs> <laughs> it's all new for both, for all of us. Um, so how, how are you able to manage the boundaries and doing this together right now? We talked a lot about this, yeah. right? Yeah, we did a lot of checking in about this, about how it, you know, what would the impact be on our work together? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm just going to reiterate that this is unusual, um, that I've never had a client write a book about our work together before. And um, I think our our intention together has always been not about us specifically, but about being able to share what's happened so that other people can benefit from it because it's been so mind-blowingly effective and exciting. And I've, I've never seen anybody have a recovery like this before. I've seen lots of recovery. I don't, I don't mean to, I don't mean that to sound doomy. I've seen lots of recovery before, but for someone to be able to write a book and articulate it in this way, um, I, I guess we, we just both have this shared feeling of uh, mission, so to speak, mm-hmm. of, of uh, sharing. Yeah, yeah. so mm-hmm. that other people can benefit from it. And we did talk about the ethical, you know, are there yeah. you know, people are going to question this in terms of ethics. And we've just constantly talked about that back and forth with yeah. one another. And you, ch- I mean, didn't you call? Your yeah, ethics. I did. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, we well. both. Yeah, we both checked in legally and, I and my uh, ethics yes. board yes. and checked yes. in there and yeah. um, and I also just you know to piggyback off of what Jennifer just shared in terms of you know as a for me as a practitioner and as a client, I know that mental health stigma is one of the number one reasons people don't access care mm-hmm. and to be able to shed some light to maybe remove some of the the shame bound secrecy that goes on in a therapeutic relationship is a gift that i feel like i am willing to do and and give to to the world and i see it as such a um i don't know like because of that feeling of like i feel like i've been given a gift to tell this story mm-hmm. um, and that that benefit yeah. mm-hmm. outweighs the harm mm-hmm. of the relationship being damaged. And so, yeah. So looking at, you know, the dual relationships or that, you know, harmful beneficial relationships and mm-hmm. you know, all that in the ethical mm-hmm. codes mm-hmm. and this boundary setting, because we talk about it because we're, you know, checking in with experts outside of us right. and because of, yeah. wanting to move stigma out of the experience of mental health treatment. That's what made it okay for me. And also we'll be curious, right? Yeah. Like, so did this, what, how did this, right. How did this impact our our work together? Yeah. Yeah. We're going to, you know, we're not going to ignore this and act like it hasn't. Yeah. You know, we're going to be really curious and responsible and, um, you know, yeah, and yeah, continue that way. Yeah. I and I, but I don't know. I think the four point five years of working together also um, there's there's so much comfort level, yeah. and we've talked about this so much that um, I I I have confidence that we'll be able to um, face any anything that feels like it might be. I don't know, infecting our work together in any way that we, that we can, um, we'll be able to, we'll be able to figure that out together. Yeah. And so, and our work, our work together, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, go ahead. 
So I was going to say that is a therapeutic process in itself to go through these changes or these pathways in your relationship and coming together and talking about it and conflict resolution. Yeah. 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 And I think uh, from a client perspective, it's also just so important to be able to be honest with your therapist when something doesn't feel right. Mm -hmm. And I do that even when it's uncomfortable, if it is uncomfortable and I'm always encouraging my friends who are in therapy, if you don't feel like, you know, you're comfortable with something, then just say that like your therapist should, you know, is trained in how to handle that. And so. And also knowing you're not. Yeah. And well, and she knows me well enough now that she, yes, exactly. She knows when I'm not telling her something that I should be. So there's no, I don't have any feeling of, um, you know, pressure or social desire, you know, that I want to have socially desirable responses so that she'll like me more or she'll, you know, anyway. So yeah, I think that part that's of important kind of about the window is. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's important to <laughs> say. Uh, awesome. Um, with just a couple. I'm sorry, Orvi, did that, do you have any, like, do you have any discomfort that you want to ask us about? Like, are you thinking, did that answer your question? Oh yeah. Yeah. That definitely, I mean, I'm, uh, I would say I'm more of an innovative (laughs) dance therapist where like, as you were speaking, uh, Oh, what was my thought that you were talking about the power of sharing this, you know, outweighs the, you know, the Mm -hmm. possible potential repercussions. Um, and I just have some strong feelings about, some outdated ethical codes where it's like there's all this assumed power differential in the therapy client relation or therapist client relationship where that's absolutely um, real. It happens, but I don't, I don't approach or um, I don't approach it from that way. I feel I am really resonate with your message. Like, and as Christine Caldwell has said on this podcast in her book as well about body authority, like the client, always has authority over their body. They always have a choice. Um, I'm not the expert that they're just following. Like it is, it's Mm -hmm. such an equal relationship. And so I don't personally have any discomfort. I don't feel like, you know, especially when you talk about it, it's, it's like you clearly had a choice in, in participating in this interview and obviously writing, I'm sorry, Anna, um, the, the video says here, um, in participating in the interview, in writing the book, and so on. So, like, I, I have a clear sense of just witnessing this conversation with you that um, no one's being, no one's used any power against you to be here. Right. Um, but I believe that it, you know, this could be a question coming up for people. So it's why I asked and why I put it out there. Right. Yeah, definitely. Um, and so that is um, just a couple of minutes left. And I, I, if you have one sentence from each of you um, to say to somebody who is really suffering in silence, has really been holding in pain um, or their trauma for so long, what what is one thing you'd say to them to help them um, really reach out and invest and commit themselves into getting the external support? Can I start? Yeah. Cause so, uh, I want you, you'll probably say something more um, sensitive than I'm about to say. <laughs> that what, what I want to say about that is that, people come when they're ready to come um, and that uh, this is, this is to let people know that the help is, is there and that you can recover, but people don't put their foot through the therapy door until they're ready to. I have a lot of respect for the walls that are up there. They're there for a really good reason. And if someone's not ready for the work yet, they're not ready for it. Um, and I have, I just, I want, I want to just in terms of what you just said, I want people to really respect that um, uh, they'll they'll come to it when it's time to come to it, and there might there might be baby steps that have to be taken. Yeah, and for me, I would say that when you are ready, because it did take me a long time to be ready. When you are ready, 
there is a huge community of us mm-hmm. who are survivors and who are healers and that you are not alone and that your pain is not a burden mm-hmm. and that your struggle and your suffering is is not a burden to the community of us that are here to support you through it. Oh, beautiful. I want to ditto that. <laughs> ditto. <laughs> it's so beautiful. We're here with open arms. Yeah. yeah. Oh, this was so powerful. And, you know, this interview alone and your book, Anna, and, and you sharing, you know, the way that you've worked together, Jennifer, like this whole thing could be something that helps someone really come forward and feel ready. So I want to thank you so much for, (laughs) I'm sure your relationship will thrive off of this, but to risk (laughs) to be here and share this with the world. I just want to say thank you so much. Thank Thank you for the opportunity. Yeah, you're a wonderful um, interviewer. Thank you so much. (laughs) Thank you.